0: Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, I'll be sitting down with author and speaker Sarah Christmeyer. Sarah is the general editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible from Ave Maria Press, as well as the co-developer and founding editor of the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study Program, an author or co-author of more than a dozen books in Bible studies. Her book, Becoming Women of the Word, pairs lessons from women of the Old Testament with women she has known to explore how to answer God's call with purpose and joy. Sarah serves also as an adjunct faculty member at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia and as a board member of the Malvern Retreat House in Malvern, Pennsylvania. She blogs at ComeIntoTheWord.com and she was kind enough to sit down with me and discuss the matriarchs of the story of Genesis. And I think she has a lot of really interesting insight to share. So I think you'll really appreciate her perspective. If you're not subscribed already, go ahead and subscribe to the Bible Readers Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss out on any of our episodes on the eras of salvation history. so glad you're joining us today on the Bible Readers Podcast to follow along on this journey through Scripture. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the Bible Readers podcast. We're uh, we're super excited to have you, and uh, I wanted to dive in and discuss the Patriarchs era, and really as as we kind of discuss preparing for this focusing on the matriarchs of this era, which we really have not done um, on the show very much. So I, I wanted to delve into that, and I guess I'll open it up with asking you about what's your background, why, uh, why where are you coming from with, uh, with knowledge of the Bible, especially from a Catholic perspective, and uh, what got you interested in reading the Bible in the first place?
1: Long story, all of that, but I'll try to make it short. <laughs> sure. <laughs> first of all, thank you so much for having me on here. This is my passion as well. So I was raised in a uh, very strong evangelical home, and after I was married, um, long story, but ended up uh, becoming Catholic, and I found myself immersed in a world of Christians who did not read the Bible, and that was really difficult for me. I felt like I'd moved to Mars or something, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I just threw myself into studying my new Catholic faith, and lo and behold, I found that scripture kind of came alive in a whole new way for me, which I hadn't anticipated. Hmm. Uh, uh, But uh, in the process, in those early years especially, I started um, just doing Bible study with women and men, actually, both in my parish. There were not many Bible studies 30 years ago, 35 years ago, whatever it was. And um, uh, my passion was to help other Catholics get to know the Lord in the Bible to help them read it and meet him and hear him speak. And so that led to writing Bible studies because there were not very many back then. And I, um, at some point, met Scott Hahn and Jeff Cavins and you know, we got together and started developing what became the Great Adventure Bible Timeline Bible Study Program. <laughs> so, I've worked with that for years, and I've uh, written a few books, Bible studies, in a book called Becoming Women of the Word that focuses on women of the Old Testament. Uh, I just recently became the general editor of a new Catholic women's Bible called oh. Living the Word, a Catholic women's Bible, and I have a podcast related to that, the Living the Word Bible podcast. So, like I said, my passion as well as yours
0: that's awesome, wow, very cool um so you're you you' you're, you're kind of taking exactly what my mission is, which is I had the exact same experience where I came in and I remember I was teaching a class with a bunch of high school um Catholics from strong Catholic families and i I mentioned like John three sixteen yeah. and I mentioned it like of course, they know what it is, and they were like what is, what is that uh-huh. I was like. <laughs> Dude, that's at the football games. Like, if you, that's, <laughs> it, it's there. And I remember telling a student, like, look something up in the Book of Hebrews. And they were like, "Is that? Is it on your shelf somewhere? Like, where? Where yeah. do I find that?" And I was like, "No, it's in the Bible." And I realized, like, these kids had never really opened it up for themselves. And so, been like, well, okay, well, that's something we're missing, right? We need to be uh, men and women of the word. And so,
2: yeah.
0: uh, definitely share that with you. So we're talking about the patriarchs and. Uh, yeah. We've been focused on the story of Abraham, uh, the story of Jacob and Esau, and then Joseph primarily. Um, And we've kind of only touched on the women in those stories. Um, But I think that's, I think we're missing a lot of really good stuff when when we're doing that. So I've been focused on the Patriarchs, but not touched heavily on the Matriarchs. Why is it important to not forget about Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Tamar? Others that are in this story of Genesis, what are we missing when we skip them?
1: Well, I think the first big reason not to skip them is that they're given to us and they're given hmm. to us in great detail. And, you know, somebody who wrote these books, you know, took a great deal of time and care in giving us not just their names, but their lives and their emotions and their reactions. Hmm. And uh, they're also some of the very first people uh, in the history of the world who got to know who God was and who learned how to walk with him by faith, the, who learned that he could be trusted and who learned to trust him with themselves, and so there's some great lessons in there about um, what it means to have faith, what it means to follow God, what it, how we deal with obstacles, um, and so on. So, and I think that the the women also give us kind of a different angle than the men do, and it's important for men as well as for women. Yeah. Um, you know, we're created male and female; we're both in His image. I think that. The feminine and masculine obviously give give across um, uh, kind of different aspects of who God is and of who we are in His image. But it doesn't mean that all the masculine aspects are just for the men, or yeah. all the you know feminine are just for the women. And when we ignore the women, I think we um, we focus more on the. The masculine on the leadership on the things that point to christ but we forget that we're not just sons of god you know we're not just sons in the sun we're the bride of christ you mm. are the bride of christ even mm. though you're a male <laughs> yeah. and what does that mean and what does it mean that we receive the life of god well you're not going to find that if you read about abraham unless you read about his wife
2: huh.
1: ditto through the for the other women throughout yeah. so i think it's very important to uh take care to look at them as
0: well is there a story uh is there one of those women that stands out to you the most in in the in this uh in the story of the patriarchs and the, the matriarchs? is there a, one of these women that like you're like this is her story like we need to hear her story
1: well uh can i give you two well yeah. no you said the patriarchs so i'll give you one in patriarchs but i think okay. we have to start with eve so she's okay. not in the patriarchs
0: yeah but go um, back to eve that's totally fine yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Eve gets blamed for a lot. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I love about Eve is that after the fall, so God addresses her, he he addresses his promise to her that one day, you know, the the um he he gives this promise of, of the woman and her seed, you know, the that the seed of the woman will um crush the head of the serpent. And so this is a promise given to her. And if we're listening to that, we're going to be watching, okay, when is this woman in her seed going to come up that's going to defeat the the serpent? Mm. And I would think if I was Eve, the first time I got pregnant, I'd be thinking, oh yeah, here comes that seed. We're going to get <laughs> that serpent because he yes. fooled us. You know, yes. we listened to him. So she has two children and the first one kills the second one.
2: Mm.
1: So, you know This is just a horrific thing where here's the promised seed, you think, maybe, and one's a murderer and the other one's dead. And then the one's exiled. So how do you come back for that? And I love watching Eve because she comes back the next time she's pregnant. She talks about having this son who's appointed to her by God. In place Mm. of the one who was lost. And Mm. there's, you know, it's not elaborated upon, but you get this little hint that, oh, there's a relationship with God going. And even in the midst of this, probably fear and discouragement, and can we even trust this God? You know, how do you trust him? Well, Mm. she's, they're moving forward. So, that's a beautiful picture, and I like to start it with Eve, because of course, at the end of the story, we have Mary, the new Eve, and we got to get from one to the other. And all these women kind of uh, show us, show us how we get from one to the other. So, the, the next one is in the patriarchs, and that would be Sarah, and she's probably one of the most important women in the Old Testament, because she, along with Abraham, I mean, they're the couple that God chooses to start his people. Yeah. And um, I guess growing up, I always thought about Abraham as being the father of faith and the father of his people. And you kind of think, well, Sarah, you know, he needed a wife or something. He needed somebody to carry that baby. Yeah. Well, that's a very Protestant way of looking at things. It's sort of like, you know, Mary, yeah. God right. needed a womb. So, you know, right. who, who cares who she is? Right. Right. Well, it's if you read, The patriarchs period carefully in Genesis, you read those chapters carefully. God is really, really specific that it has to be Sarah, who's the parent, who's the mother of these It can't be
0: Hagar. It it cannot be Hagar. It cannot be
1: Hagar. It can't be Abraham's servant. You know, it has to be a child of Abraham and Sarah, who not only can't have children, who's 90 years old. Right. (laughs) you know it she has to have a it has to be totally impossible for her to have children wow. and you know her she she gets actually held up in that that great um chapter of faith in hebrews chapter 11 he right. talks about what it means to be to have faith two women are mentioned there yeah. um also rahab who you'll get to in a couple periods but sarah is mentioned because, and it says basically she's uh, able to conceive and have uh, the people of God because of her faith. Well, you look at the story and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, because she laughs when she hears the news. Right. But isn't that so much what faith is like? Mm. I mean, we hear God say something and we're like, are you kidding me? That yeah. is impossible. I can't do that. I am not good enough. I don't have it in with me. I don't care if you're male, female, you know, how great you are. You don't have what it takes. And so here's a message right at the beginning that God loves to take people who don't have what it takes. And it's that faith, even if we laugh to begin with, we learn, hey, nothing's impossible with God, which that's the message to Mary later on. You know, well, that message came to Sarah,
0: first of all. huh? That's super cool. Yeah, I, I I intend to always read the story of Abraham as the story of progression in faith, where like he starts out good, he goes where God tells mm. him, right, and then big dip because he leaves his wife out to dry at the whim of whatever the Egyptian pharaoh wants. Yeah, and then he and then he, and then he has this high moment with Melchizedek, and then and then the promise is, is reiterated and then low moment when he loses faith again. And then finally this, this culmination of all this like test of faith where he has this, the sacrifice of, of, of his son, Isaac, right. Or the almost sacrifice and where we see Abraham go from a man of little faith um, to a man of, of great faith. Mm-hmm. Does, does Sarah have an ending moment that we see kind of like Abraham where They've been through the crucible, or should, should we read um, the sacrifice of Isaac? Should we read Sarah into that as well, even though she's not mentioned in the scene itself?
1: Uh, can we step back from the sacrifice of Isaac for a minute yeah. and just back uh-huh. up to the rest of the question? I love what you started saying because it comes it brings out a really important point. We look at Abraham's, quote, journey of faith, and it's a journey because he's on a journey to begin with. Well, right. so Sarah, she's walking alongside him, you know, she's going through the journey. But we look at that journey, as you described, it's sort of the highs and the lows and the right. steps that he takes. But really, what Abraham is working toward is, first of all, he is leaving and following. That's a big right. aspect of faith. Hmm. Um, secondly, he's having to believe what seems to be impossible. So that's a big deal. Right. But the the high point for him is the obedience of faith. And, you know, St. Paul brings that out quite a bit in Romans, but the fact that he is willing to offer his son, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like the the pinnacle toward which his life has been aimed at. Is he going to trust God enough to give up the evidence? I mean, he's the son of the promise. Without Isaac, there's no promise. He's going to give him up. So, it requires this massive amount of faith. Well, Sarah, uh, her journey isn't maybe quite the same in terms of ups and downs and actually doing things, but a lot of what faith has to do with is patient waiting, Mm. all right? Mm. How we experience faith in our lives, sometimes it does involve stepping out and leaving and following. Sometimes it does involve obeying and doing something, but a heck of a lot of time it involves patient waiting and attached to that is allowing God to work and put his life in us instead of us living on our own strength so even when you see like Jesus talking about the vine and the branches Uh. you know Are you going to be your own vine and suck up your own nutrients from the earth and do your own thing? Or are you going to be planted in him and allow him to produce in you the kind of fruit that he wants? Or are you going to be hanging fruit on the tree, you know, what you want to show the world? That is the life. That's like the day-to-day life of a lot of what faith is. And this is why I say you can't separate them. It's not either or. It's both and. But here we have this couple who was walking through decades of life together, getting to know God, learning how to follow him and exhibiting kind of complementary aspect of what it means to live by faith.
0: Uh, and I, I would say like that kind of that patient waiting is oftentimes, or at least for some people, far more difficult than to go active, do it. It can be yeah. like weighty on your soul. Um, so that's, right. I, I've never thought about that with Sarah before. That's super fascinating. I really like that. Um, does she have this final moment like we see with Abraham, or is the final moment that the her son is there and then he's off into the world after the sacrifices? Do we uh, do we have like a final moment to her? Faith um,
1: I think that's the the sort of the climax, the peak I, of it. It doesn't mean that's all there is. So sure. of course we have afterward. Um, you know when she sees. Um, um, what's her other son's name? Why am I blanking it? Ishmael. Ishmael. And yes. she sees Ishmael, you know, messing with her son, and she yeah. gets ticked off about that. Well, one thing I noticed, actually, when I was researching for my book, he she sees him laughing at her son. It's the same word that's used with Isaac laughing. Huh. And I wonder if she sensed a little bit of, you know, He's kind of trying to usurp the place of her son. She knows that her son is the son of the promise. Abraham has a hard time dealing with that. Uh, He has to learn to give up his son so that almost so that he can get him. (laughs) Uh, You know, he is constantly showing favoritism to this son he loves you see him loving Ishmael, you know, when he has to give up Isaac, it's the son that you love. Well, what about that other one? And so she has to kind of step in there and, uh, you know, maybe we don't like the way she does it. And maybe she didn't do that great of a job toward Hagar or whatever, but I think the impulse was a good one and she's protecting and safeguarding God's promise. And we see that with a lot of the women actually throughout Genesis.
0: Huh, the safeguarding of God's promise. Yeah. I like where you put that.
1: And stepping in when the yeah. when the father isn't quite doing it.
0: Huh. That's that's super interesting. Um, so I I I see the patriarchs playing the role of the new Adams, looking forward to the last Adam. This is something that I actually Dr. Sakonikis brought up a lot in First Corinthians. Paul refers to, I believe it's first Corinthians, uh, Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Yeah. Of like The final iteration of Adam, that he will fully recapitulate the human race toward, toward God. Um, I guess that we can take very similar things between Eve and Mary. Um, and, Absolutely. And, and especially like all of the women of the patriarchs or uh, all of the, yeah, the women of the patriarchs era, we can do the same uh, from Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah. Do we see those Marian images in their stories?
1: There are a lot of Marian images all the way through. Um, There's this wonderful passage in the Catechism um, that I ran into. It's Catechism 489. Um, Maybe I read just a little bit of it. It says, throughout the Old Covenant, the mission of many holy women prepared for that of Mary. At the Mm -hmm. very beginning, there was Eve. Despite her disobedience, she receives the promise of a posterity that will be victorious over the evil one, as well as the promise that she will be the mother of all the living. By virtue of this promise, Sarah conceives a son in spite of her old age. Against all human expectation, God chooses those who were considered powerless and weak to show forth his faithfulness to his promises. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, Deborah, Ruth, Judith, and Esther, and many other women. Mm. And so, what you see is all the way through, it's actually kind of fun to sort of look through for the woman and her seed. Look through these pairs, not of couples. You can look for couples, too, for different reasons, but look for a mother with a son. And you'll see that theme often of uh, impossible births, of infertility. You know, Mary wasn't infertile, but that was definitely an impossible birth. And she gets repeated that same line, you know, nothing is impossible with God. Um, We've got, uh, well, you you mentioned the the sacrifice of Isaac or the offering of Isaac, I guess we should call it. Um, We don't see in the Bible how Sarah reacts to that. Um, There's a a great deal of Jewish thought has gone into that of how how horrible that must have been to her. Some people have, some of the rabbis suggested that maybe she even died of a broken heart after that. Um, we don't, we don't really know. Um, but she definitely is an early image of the mother, you know, whose son is offered, but who is yeah. given back her son. So they're wow. both given back their son. Um, with clearly we've got Judith and Yael, I guess you haven't done them, them oh, yet, either but either. sort of stomping the heading, on the head of the enemy. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So we'll have that, you know, we've got Esther interceding, we've got Deborah, you know, do what he tells you. There's all kinds of images throughout uh, with a lot of the women that point forward to Mary, but mainly it's the, the infertility. And then we see, of course, the probably the most obvious one would be in Hannah, who right. you'll come to, but she prays and prays for a son, and then her song of Thanksgiving afterward mm-hmm. is echoed in in uh, Mary's Magnificat.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we can kind of track that all the way through just like we can with uh, yeah. with the Adamic figures as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then with, I want to get into the specifics of a couple of these stories in relation to the women. Um, and there are just a couple of things that I've always found. Um, I don't know. if it, no, I don't know if the word, right word is strange, but uh, just curious about some of these things. And one of them is is the favoritism that we see from a couple of the different women who deal with their two sons. And of course, my mind immediately goes to, uh, Jacob and Esau. What, what do we make of Rebecca's favoritism with Jacob and with her insistence or, uh, uh assistance in Jacob's stealing of the blessing?
1: So I think we have to start out <clears throat> with, um, you know, uh, while she was pregnant with those boys, she got a message from the Lord that there were two nations inside her that were struggling. She was so upset because she could feel them battling it out, you know, in her womb. And um, the the promise was that the younger was going to be the stronger and the favored um, and that the elder would serve the younger. Yeah. So she she takes that seriously and she remembers it. Um Jacob initially takes the birthright from his brother, but his brother really sells it to him. I mean, I don't think Jacob stole it. But later on, definitely, she sort of pulls the wool over her husband's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but to me, it's kind of like Sarah with with her son. Huh. I mean, her husband is about to give the blessing to the wrong boy. You know, in spite of in spite of the promise of God and in spite of the fact that the older son really doesn't show himself to, to be very worthy, oh. he insists on giving that blessing. And so she gets her other son to trick him out of it. Now, did she need to do that? I don't think so. The reason I don't think so is that years later, Jacob is blessing all of his sons. And Joseph brings him his two, and he crosses his, even though he's blind, he crosses his hands over and blesses the younger son. You know, so God could have done something. Right. She intervened. You know, was that good? Was it not? I don't know, but it accomplished a good thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh one, one of the things I that's that a lot of people. St- struggle with in genesis is you see a lot of really fallible people and you see a lot of despicable people too and you see despicable things and hebrew literature uh being written at that time it didn't say now the moral of this story is you know she should never have done this because blah, blah, blah. yeah no but no, what no. does it do you you start watching the story and eventually jacob gets jacob <laughs> yeah you know yeah. jacob Tries to do the same thing with his father-in-law, you know, and his father-in-law tricks him into marrying both of his daughters or marrying the one he didn't want. And he says, you know, I don't know how it's done in your country, but here we don't give the older before the younger. Hmm. You know, it's like, boom, you just got, you know, served. Right. Exactly. It came. So, um, it, what, what goes around comes around. And these are real people who struggle. So. But, but, I think that, um i I think that there's something in her to be lauded that she at least, you know, maybe her means weren't very good, but
0: yeah,
1: I don't think she's totally bad.
0: Yeah, no, that's I, <laughs> I, what I love I, I, I love that Genesis doesn't preach at you because yeah. it, like it makes it great literature to read. Like mm-hmm. great literature does not have a soliloquy at the end of every chapter telling you what you should think. It's subtle and it it's moves you and it and it invites you to reread it and to dive back into it. And so, like with the with the story of of Jacob and Esau, and you see the deceiver himself being deceived by Laban. And then and then at the end of this story, or toward the end of the story, when he's leaving Laban and he's trying to leave, and he's trying to figure out what he'll take from his herds. And there's this weird story where he's breeding the herds, and there's yeah a whole bunch of strange stuff in there but ultimately i i i think one of the takeaways for me was that we can see uh jacob jacob is working really really hard to to be as fair as he possibly can be with laban and he wants to do it in a way that's that's visible and that there are checks upon himself so that laban knows he's being honest and you're like there it is right the 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 manipulator right is Jacob who knows like my brother's this impulsive kind of maniac dude I can I can get the inheritance from him if I want like I can I can work this dude over and then toward the end of the story he's going I'm gonna work really hard to be as honest as I can be and you see oh he's developed right the character has has increased um, and where we saw strife between the brothers. Then we have unity between the brothers at the end of the story, but we also have, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sort of. Sort of. They 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 come back right, and they're not killing each other. They're not killing each other, and (laughs) they're Jacob is penitent, right? (laughs) Uh, And yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And and uh, and Jacob at the, uh, but Jacob sees the strife between siblings as well um, from. Ra- Rachel and
1: Leah.
0: Oh and yeah. So I mean, he, he saw that firsthand, and so I would think that would be convicting upon him as somebody who sh- stirred up strife between his brother. And that story of Rachel and Leah is is one that like uh, Rachel is beloved, right? But mm-hmm. barren again, right? That you have you you have the barrenness, but Leah is is disregarded. Do you see them both as as Marian figures or? Um, does Rachel exhibit that more than Leah does, since she's barren, since she's, she's the beloved wife of, of Jacob?
1: Um, I haven't thought about them a lot in terms of Marian figures. Maybe something will occur to me while I'm talking. Um, <laughs> I love those two, though, because they, they also represent something that's a real human thing. I mean, it, both of them want what they don't have. Uh, They're living with their sister who has what they want. Oh, and yeah. it is nasty. And um we I think each one of us has has familiarity with that feeling of wanting something so badly and not getting it. Yeah. And you know, poor Leah just all she wants is to be loved, and she's in this loveless marriage. Yeah. And it ain't ever gonna change. Yeah. And I I really, really love the example of Leah because God has pity on her. He gives her children. And if you watch the way those children are named, you can see the struggle she's going through because each baby she thinks will give her his love. And each one, she pours out her heart in a stronger, oh, please, you know, this time he's going to love me. Oh, maybe if I give him another son, he's going to love me. And then she gets to number four, and it says that uh, she says this time. I will praise the Lord. And she calls him Judah, which means praise. And from then on, it's like her sight, instead of looking for a man to fill her, she looks to God to fill her.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is so many person, people's stories. Whether you're looking for a man or a woman to fill you, or a job, or money, or you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. I ain't going to do it. You know, nothing yeah. will fill us except for God. And so uh, her her journey there is a beautiful, beautiful example of growth in faith and how praise helps her to get there. And then, of course, Judah, you know, Jesus comes from that line.
0: Child of the promise. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So and then Rebecca, I mean, Rachel, uh, she all she wants is children. I'm not sure she does love her husband and she didn't really care that he loves her. She just wants children and she's not getting them. And she's kind of a sad, sad story. But um, in the end, she dies in childbirth, um, having been very bitter her entire life against her sister and only wanting children to kind of get one up on her sister, which is very sad. But she's buried by the side of the road. And years later, um, Jeremiah talks about her. uh, And um, as as the people... You you aren't here yet in your story yet, but as the people of Israel get marched off into exile, they go past where her grave is. And he talks about Rachel crying for her children, and then he brings a note of hope that they're going to come back to her at some point. And, of course, that's a little prophecy about their return from exile at some point. And then... I think it's in Matthew in the gospel that we hear about Rachel weeping for her children you know when the the infants are slaughtered and so on but the Jews always um attributed a lot of um they they attribute to her tears bringing back those the children of Israel and uh. the power of a mother's tears and praying for her children uh and never giving up praying for them is kind of her legacy which is uh. A nice, nice legacy from a sad story.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful, huh? That's I, I love what you said about those two. That's super interesting. I'm gonna have to think about those. I, I've I've never thought about them on that level. That's really awesome. Um, th- there are stories of women uh, throughout the Bible, as- especially in like the Book of Judges. I think of in particular, but I think it's here in Genesis where uh, the theme of of the the abuse. Of uh, mm. certain women in the Bible and how the author uses that, um, and it, I, I wonder like what we can take away from some of these things. I think of the story of Dinah um, in Genesis, but uh, of course, this the story of the the Levite and the concubine in Judges, but and they're throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think the the author is? Uh, I guess what is the author doing by highlighting these stories where? Um, the women are mistreated and and abused by some like men like Judah who are going to be really important. Why is the author Im- including these stories and bringing them to light for us?
1: So Judah's later with Tamar right. with his daughter in law and um, you know maybe we we start with that story because sure, yeah. Judah has Judah has three sons and um, back then you know you have your legacy goes on through your offspring or whatever and if you get married and uh if the son if the if the man dies they would then marry the woman to the brother who is supposed to bring up children for that son right so he has very wicked sons and one after another they die because god kills them right uh, for their sins and and judah refuses to marry his final son off to tamar so Mm -hmm. she's left um you know she's lost two wicked husbands (laughs) the lord took them whether that was a blessing or a curse i'm not sure (laughs) Um, right right? Yeah. yeah but the upshot is that judah has no legacy
2: huh
1: so the real i mean the the one center of that story is, yes, it's Tamar, but it's really his legacy is not going to, his line is going to die. Mm-hmm. And so here again, we have a woman doing something that's maybe a little bit shady. You know, she she pretends to be a prostitute and waits by the side of the road because he's his wife has died and he's, you know, going out on the town. And she goes, and instead of him having a child by some unlawful way or whatever, right. you know, I guess this was probably unlawful too. It wasn't a good idea, but she slept with him. She got pregnant and then he, he wants to punish her. I think he wants to kill her. uh, Whatever the punishment is for adultery when he finds out that she's pregnant and um, she reveals that, that he was the the father and he instantly is, you know, covered with shame and remorse and never sleeps with her again. Um, But he, has twins that way, and they are in the line of Christ. They are the line of Judah. Yeah. Again, Jesus comes from that line, and Matthew makes a point of drawing attention to that. I mean, I think we have to, Tamar was mistreated, and her life was not good. I I trust that God made that up to her. One way he made it up to her is that she's forever memorialized in the line of Jesus Christ in Matthew's genealogy. Right, And um, Judah Buddha said she was more righteous than he. Right. I don't know that you had to get very righteous to do that, but... Low (laughs) bar. Yeah. You know, and then the other one you mentioned was Dinah, uh, the sister of all the sons of, you know, she's the daughter of um, Jacob. Yeah. And a neighboring person falls in love with her, sort of, wants her. (laughs) Right uh and rapes her, wants to marry her and everything but the the brothers come out and wipe out the entire town which is a horrific horrific thing that happens we never really hear what happens to dinah after that um but she probably can't have a husband after that very very sad um i'm sad that we don't hear what happens to her the emphasis more is on the abomination that the sons do in response and their comeuppance in, in the lack in the the blessing that they get at the end of Jacob's life which is really more like a curse almost yeah. um you know they miss out big time on what should have been theirs because of of their behavior again they get punished
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh we don't see how she gets taken care of I wish we did uh, but it doesn't tell us that
0: yeah, I think that's one of the things that's uh, especially difficult for modern readers of Genesis to to look at. Whether it's whether it's the 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 story of Judah and Tamar, which is strange, right? The whole idea of the kinsman mm-hmm. is something we're like, the brother, right? The but but are, there are these systems in place to take care of the women there, and then of course with Dinah, you look at okay, well. These the, this prince of Shechem who has raped her and they oh, they've mm-hmm. arranged a marriage with him like oh how horrifying yeah. and again it's like well yeah but that's might be less horrifying than her not being able to have uh, a husband never having children to take care of her in her old age never having uh, sustenance from from uh from a family. That she can be a part of and oh yes okay we, we've we've uh arranged for a way that this might work out if the Suttons get circumcised and we can do all this and then the brothers destroy that for dinah in this it, it's like it, it's it's a strange thing for modern readers of the bible um but i think it's important to to highlight those things and talk about some of the weirdness and things that don't mix with our culture one so that we can understand the the story of the scriptures more but we can understand like this what would have been dinah's plight if she would never have, have been able to find a find a husband it could have been pretty rough
1: but it's all it's also important not to get to that story and stay there and not leave there and yeah. see the whole the big picture so you mentioned like the the concubine in judges that gets yeah. ripped into pieces and whatever right um left on its own without God, people yeah. do horrible things. Yeah. And sin leads to horrible, horrible things. And what we see in the Old Testament is what happens, what happens when people do what they want to do? Mm. What happens before Christ steps in to provide another way? Mm. You know. Um, the the concubine and judges i'm sure you'll get you'll have to talk about this oh, yeah. when, you, when you get there later on but that's just the epitome you talk about the end point of of it's it's like a complete opposite of what abraham abraham steadily climbs a peak till the a, a top apex right. of faith as far as you can go they go down to the bottom where they can go and what it is is they go they become like all the other nations when they give God up. And this is what the other nations look like. This yeah. is what life without God looks like. And this is why Jesus came, because things are horrible.
2: Yeah. Him.
1: So um, you know, some of these individuals, you need to we have to trust to God. I mean, look at some of David's daughters. What happens right. to them? It's horrible. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: and so, I think that is an inter in an, an interesting point that whenever the author's trying to sh- show the immense depravity of human beings it it it's almost always connected with the abuse of women that's that's one of it the things yeah that the, like killing murder right Th- these things but also the mistreatment of the of of women is like one of the ways we see the worst the worst of the of of humanity without god um, mm-hmm. i think the author is doing that intentionally um maybe I,
1: because that's what happens i mean the weak get right. preyed on women get preyed on you mm-hmm. know and you see that the bad things are done to the men also sure um maybe they don't draw our attention quite as much
0: but, yeah that, that's um, true yeah that's super fascinating the promises that are given to the sons at the at the end of the book of genesis mm-hmm. i've really only ever focused on the promise given to given to judah are, is there anything in the rest of the promises that we can take away? Is there anything fascinating there that's important for the rest of the biblical narrative?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, let me look it up, because it's been a while since I've looked at it. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Genesis 50 or whatever. That's what you're talking about, right?
0: Yes, the 12. I'm sorry. Yeah, the 12 sons given. Or the twelve. Um,
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, at the beginning, he he talks about how... You know, he he goes from oldest to youngest, so you'd expect the youngest to kind of get the birthright, you know, to get everything. But that's Reuben, and um, he slept with Jacob's concubine. Oh. Remember that? And so he, because of what he did, that was a real power grab in those days. You know, yep. it was like, I want to be the next ruler, and um, he, he lost his position from that. The next two are Simeon and Levi— Um, And they're the ones who, um, you know, killed everybody because of the rape of Dinah. Um, Because of their anger, uh, they get divided and scattered. Well, it's interesting because Levi does get blessed in a way. That's what the Levites come from. But Simeon's tribe later on uh, gets kind of absorbed. It's down in the south in Judah and you know, it it just kind of becomes nothing. I don't, I wish, if you know what happens to Simeon's tribe, let me know, but I have no idea. (laughs) I've never been able to find out what happens to it. Um, And Levi, obviously, the Levites get um, divided among all the tribes instead of having their own solid territory. So, um, this, these, um, these blessings or curses or pronouncements are really kind of foretelling what's going to be, what they're going to be like the next one is judah and judah is the you know the the lion's whelp. you you know the messiah is going to come from the tribe of judah it says that your father's sons will bow down before you the scepter shall not depart from judah that's the one that you focus on right okay
0: yeah because i'm going oh well there's jesus there's david there's all the yeah later players are coming from judah
1: so then we go down, you know, it talks a little bit about Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Asher. You get to Joseph, and remember Joseph, um, it's almost like Judah gets the birthright here and Joseph almost gets the blessing. It talks about Joseph being a fruitful bow, and it goes on for like two paragraphs, you know, about all the wonderful things, uh, the blessings of heaven that are going to be his, the blessings are mighty beyond the blessings of the eternal mountains, and so on goes on and on and on Um, but eventually joseph and judah are the two who really kind of become the halves of um of israel so eventually the kingdom divides and you have judah in the south and you have israel in the north but sometimes it's called ephraim which is joseph's joseph's son and ephraim and manasseh are almost like two wings they're like the biggest part of the territory of that northern part so um, the future of of Israel. Yes, there are twelve tribes, but those are the two kind of main pieces.
0: So would would you say that is there when they're when the kingdom divides and in in the south you've got the two and the the north you've got the the ten. Uh, would is there a divide there that kind of goes back to the divide between Rachel and Leah? That like I guess maybe not because Benjamin is no because son of she has 10 of them yeah
1: yeah well yeah uh joseph and benjamin no in 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 rachel she's got the whole gamut (laughs) represented kind of yeah that would be interesting
0: there there seems to be in genesis this like really sharp shift in the storytelling in that occurs in genesis 11 where we go from these like macro eon stories um creation Mm -hmm. these huge ones and then we focus on this one guy and his sons really intensely. Um, and I've always read that. I've always read the first, um, the first section of Genesis is highly non-literal. And then we get into these very literal stories of the histories of these, of these, uh, patrons. Yeah. Uh, but there are themes that, that travel throughout the entire book. Um, uh, and one of them is this idea of like the family name, the passing on of the family name. Of course, like it goes all the way back to Seth and Adam, where Adam receives mm-hmm. the blessing from God, and then uh, and then Adam names Seth, Seth, which means name, and kind of carries this on. Uh, is the passing on of that of the blessing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and and so on? Is is that this passing on of the of the blessing that came to came to Adam in in Genesis one and two, is that how we should read that theme moving forward through Genesis?
1: So there are there are people who be- so Shem is Shem means name. So and there are people who believe that Shem, who was Noah's son, was still alive and was Melchizedek giving mm-hmm. the blessing to Adam. Um, so there are some people who would trace it through that way. But the blessing that's being specifically passed on here, um, technically speaking, is the blessing that God gave to Abraham that he's passing on um, that, that's that's tied to the covenant.
0: Yes, of course. I, I wanted to ask, like, if you were talking to somebody who is who uh, opening up Genesis for the first time, they were like, I'm going to read the Bible. Of course, they're like, I'll start in the beginning what Mm -hmm. advice would you give them for reading the Bible on their own? Um, And maybe like some uh, resources that they could tap into to understand the Bible for themselves.
1: Excellent question. Um, If they're reading it all on their own, it probably would be good for them to have some resources because it isn't easy to understand. And Uh, One thing to keep in mind is probably that Genesis means beginning, and if you read the first chapter of a novel, you'd have a lot of questions too, especially if you stop there. You know, you got to read the whole thing. So, like you said, there are a lot of themes that are introduced. I mean, the first few chapters, especially that Genesis 1 to 11, um, actually the whole book of Genesis really is setting the stage for the whole rest of the story and you mm-hmm. can't understand the rest of the story without it but you're maybe not going to understand it until you get the rest of the story either mm-hmm. so i would the first thing i would say is don't just read that you know be patient and get the whole picture
0: <laughs> huh, that's a good um, way to put it. i like that that you won't understand this until you get to the end of the story and you won't understand the end, end of the story until you get this
1: yeah, and then wrapped up in that is until you get, you understand how Jesus Christ ties the whole thing together. Right. So, um, but you know the the um, the church gives us some good guidelines on how to read. You can read about them in yeah um, in the catechism. Around, do you want me to look up the numbers?
0: Uh, you you yeah, that'd be great.
1: Catechism one hundred nine to one fourteen. Okay. talks about, um, actually, it's telling us criteria for reading the Bible as a living communication from God to us, as opposed to as a dead letter. Yeah. So that's to helping us to kind of read it according to the spirit that it's written to. So you're you're doing what I have just said, you're looking at the content and unity of the entire scripture. You got you got to know the big picture before you can understand the little pieces. Right. The second thing is you really have to live it within, I mean read it within the um living tradition of the church. Mm. So you're not gonna fully understand it unless you get to know what the how the church has read it and <laughs> how the church reads it and how the church interprets. So the church doesn't give us strict interpretations of every line, but it does give us like um, banks on a river. Yeah. So you're you're going, you know, you got your canoe, you're going down the river or whatever, and there's a bank on either side. So it'll give you those banks but there's kind of a lot of uh, motion that you can do in the middle um, in terms of figuring things out. Um, Related to that is to be attentive to what they call the analogy of faith. Mm -hmm. So the truths of the faith all hang together. That was one thing I noticed on becoming Catholic. It's like everything holds together so incredibly beautifully. They don't contradict each other. So if you start running into things that, you think you think that when you're reading, you know, about the uh, conquest of Canaan, you think you're reading that God is a really angry God. And the whole history of all the Christian tradition and everything and Jewish tradition tells you that God is love. There's probably something wrong with your understanding. So you know, how are how are you going to get to the bottom of that? It might help to be able to study some of what the church teaches also and to read in light of that. Mm. Um, so that's very important. Um I would get some good um, I would get some good resources. So, fortunately, now as compared to 30 years ago, there are some really good resources out there for understanding the Bible. There's programs like the Great Adventure Bible Timeline. I'll give a shameless plug for yeah. something I worked on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and for what you're doing, um, but reading, if you if you do the Bible studies that are related to that, the first few of them really help you to learn how it is that you read the Bible in light of church teaching and how you read the old Testament in light of the new, how you read it all in light of Christ and so on. So it will help you. Um, I don't know if what you're exactly what you're looking for. So I'm fumbling a little bit here.
0: Oh no, That's fine. Yeah. I, I I, I just, the, the work that you've done and the work that I'm trying to get to become a part of is really like shares this, this uh, mission where like, I, I meet so many Catholics who like are familiar with individual stories that are spread uh-huh. apart but they don't understand any of the connection between them and especially because uh like they're like hey i go to mass i listen i'm uh-huh. i'm there i'm paying attention but they but they're every week i get parachuted into numbers and then jeremiah and then ephesians and it's just like i, I i've i get i hit the ground and i don't know where i am yeah. I only know that i only know wh- what's immediately around me and so reading the bible as a story in connecting the whole thing and, and realizing that it's one unified and cohesive narrative i think is super important for understanding the whole and and the way the way like like you said earlier i really like that of like ha- being able to to be okay with not getting it fully at the beginning And not understanding the end until you know the beginning and how and then how the end influences your understanding of the beginning, all those things working together. Like I find second and third read throughs of the Bible to be more and more profitable to me as like, even though now I know. Right. I know the story. I'm done. It's like, no, no, no. Go back. Because now that you now that you know the whole thing. You're going to read that one story in light of it, in light of the entirety, and it's going to come alive in ways that you didn't see. Um, well, it's
1: like if you go, say you go to Rome for the first time, or Israel, or, you know, Peoria, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, for the first time you go, you just like walk around, you don't understand, you don't know what you're looking at. You're just like, right. wow, that's cool. Ooh, that's ugly. Oh, what is yeah. that? You know, but you go back the next year, and you're like, "Oh, I remember this street Let's go down here and eat at this restaurant, or whatever." You know, and the more you go back, the more you understand, and it it really is a lifelong thing. Uh, it helps if you know the stuff when you're a kid, because I think. Um, so I started reading the Bible when I was a child, and I didn't understand most of what I read, but I knew that I I was a child. Right. I mean, children approach life as. Wow! Look at all this cool stuff, you know. And you just hear the story when you do it the first time. When you're an adult, I think we're hampered by the fact that we want to understand everything immediately, and you can't. So just trying to lay that aside and get the big picture first. It's kind of like you know, you jump a box of puzzle pieces on the table. The first thing you're going to do is at least the first thing I do is put out the edges and then I'm get like the main blocks of color or whatever. And then you fill in around there. That's what you do when you're getting the big picture and filling it in. Um, and try to give yourself some slack because you're not going to get it all. Nobody gets it all right away. It, and um, But just focus on what you do get. Yeah. And remember that, Yes, a lot of it's history, a lot of it's law, a lot of it's poetry, whatever. All of it is a Word of God written to us because God wanted to reveal Himself to us, and He also wanted to talk to us. So part of what we're going to get is a revelation of who He is and a deeper understanding. It's not all about us, right? (laughs) It ain't all about us. But some of it is, and some of it will speak to us, and if we can kind of enter it with prayer and ask the Lord to show us. And then just hang on to that little bite that does make sense and chew on that for a bit. You know, after a while it starts working its way in and really making sense.
0: Hmm. So what are the ways that people can engage with your work more um, and uh, some of the books you've written and, and what you're working on now?
1: Uh, well, I have a website that is called comeintotheword.com and that has pretty much everything on it. Um, if you're interested in the women of the Old Testament, I have a book called Becoming Women of the Word, How to Answer God's Call with Purpose and Joy. Mm-hmm. And I go through women of the Old Testament in there, and I also I pair each a, one with a woman in my life just to show what we can learn about faith and living with faith and how we walk on this journey with God together. Um, it is about women, but I know men who have enjoyed the book also, mm-hmm. just a heads up. <laughs> um, and also for women, uh, the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible and the Living the Word podcast uh, comes out every week. But the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, that the program, whether you're listening to Father Mike Schmidt's, you know, just reading and talking, or if you're doing the Bible study, um, there's a lot of really rich stuff in there. So
0: awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Uh, on the show. And I'm so blessed that you were able to join us and give your insight. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. I loved it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you again to Sarah Chris Meyer. If you want to explore her work more, go into into comeintotheword.com. That's comeintotheword.com. And you'll find her books, Bible studies, as well as information if you want to book Sarah to speak at your parish. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast app you use. And I hope that you've learned something from this show. And if you have, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. That helps get our content out to others. A new episode of the Bible Readers Podcast is released every other Monday. Next time, we'll be putting a bow on the era of the patriarchs and recapping some of the lessons learned throughout it. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next time on the Bible Readers Podcast.